Pastor Francisco is not here, but that is Pastor Francisco. He is the one that we're um, uh, partnering with in, in like, Justin, Justin Cosgrove was here last week, so let me just kind of reframe. Justin Cosgrove is a Creekside elder who eight years ago moved down with his family to Mexico, and they are partnering with pastors like Pastor Francisco, who are doing, doing these amazing ministries of just finding needs and caring for it. I just, I, I love, I could not love more the, um, the heart that just looks at um, what's happening. So Pastor Francisco, to be, um, his story was he was on the streets outside of this hospital and seeing like a, you know, a dad just like curling up under a blanket on the sidewalk with his two kids as they're waiting for news from their mom and just seeing like there's all these needs. And he just says, goes back to his church, hey, I don't know what we can do, but we have to do something. And they just begin helping. And it grows into this thing that, that we've been able to partner with. So in that, um, in that video, that, that, that sort of greenish-blue house that you can see in there, the main buildings, Creekside, we have for years and years and years been partnering with this ministry, and they, um, we've built those buildings. Like, we raised money, we sent teams, we built those buildings, we've been supporting them and partnering with them for so long, and it's a beautiful thing. So the invite, uh, last week, uh, Justin was talking to us about some of the ministries and about just what God is doing in Mexico Incredible, inspiring, amazing. The need they have right now, in addition to the ways that we as a whole church family um, sponsor what's happening down there, um, the need is for sponsoring beds. They have 40 beds in that place. Justin said last week, uh, 1,500 to 2,000 people go through um, that house in a year. They're just caring for them and at a low, low moment of their life, whether because a loved one is suffering or because they eventually end up losing a loved one in that scenario, um, they are there with a family. They're there with people that care for them. They're there hearing about the love of Jesus. They're, he- they're being embraced. It's a beautiful thing. So those beds, there's 40 beds, and the request is that we um, uh, individually support uh, a bed, like sponsor a bed. It's $50 a month um, to do that, and it just allows them the food and the, all the resources and staffing they need to care for those people well. Um, so if that's you, if you're feeling like, uh, yeah, I think we could do that, yeah, I totally understand that $50 a month is a hard, it's a big ask, um, but if that's you, we would love to have you do it. So you can scan the code, there's a code in front of your chair that you can scan and get there. Um, but yeah, that, that's like our, our invitation is to say, uh, let's, let's uh, partner with what's happening down there in a big picture way. So um, if, uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 15, and I have, I think, probably about as good of a way of starting a sermon as I ever have. <clears throat> so I'm going to start right here, okay? Uh, somebody already asked me if we're uh, becoming Catholic. No, not yet, not yet. But they, they have a few good things going for them, and, uh, and the presence of wine in a church service uh, is maybe one of them. So um, this is a uh, 2021 uh, Fry Brothers Chardonnay, okay? And I know we have some wine connoisseurs in the church. I bet, I bet nobody's like, oh, a, a 2021 Fry Brothers Chardonnay. But this bottle is uh, very special to me. Um, because in addition to it being one of the more expensive bottles of wine I've ever purchased, and that's not saying very much at all, um, it is, uh, my dad's grapes are in this bottle. Um, now, theoretically, I'm just going to say theoretically they might be, because um, this is a, you know, sizable uh, wine production facility. What do you call a, a vi- what do you, they're not a vineyard, what are they, they're winemaker. Um, my dad, my, dad has, uh, my dad has one acre uh, of Chardonnay grapes, okay? So his grapes might be in here. So this, this means a lot to me. Like, there, there's like a lot that I know that goes into this. So here's, um, 
Here's our, our um, this is Laura and I. Laura didn't know I was going to show a picture of her, but this is, uh, this is at least 16 years ago, so you can see my hair is still giving it its best try there to hang on. Um, but that's in my dad's vineyard. So here's what this looks like. That little, that yellow house back there, that's the home I grew up in, and um, it's, uh, it's what made me into who I am today. And this vineyard in the front, one acre, um, that when, I don't know, somewhere around um, when I was in junior high, I guess my dad was bored from his like regular job. So as a hobby, he planted a vineyard. And um, so we were out there, man. We were digging the, the holes for the uh, vines to go into. We were planting these little baby vines and protecting them from the rabbits with these little um, milk carton things and putting in stakes and putting in running water lines and, um, and just everything. And so over the years in my uh, growing up through my teenage years, it was always the, the chore that I always got to do and never wanted to do was going out to the grapes with my dad and pruning grapevines and training branches here or there. My dad would always be out there. He loves it still. It's just his hobby, but he loves it. And um, there's just so much work that goes into getting these vines to just go the way they need to go so that you can get enough grapes so that you can have a bottle of wine. And I'm going to put it down here. I, I'm not going to drink it, obviously, guys. Come on, just... Just a, uh, just an illustration, all right? Um, as I was sitting here last week and Justin was uh, speaking, Justin, our, our missionary to Mexico, he was talking about the name of their ministry, which is Permanecer, which means abide. It means remain. It means stay. And um, he talked to us through G- uh, John 6 about the idea of Jesus saying, seek the food that endures, that, that um, Permanecer, that uh, stays to eternal life. And I just, I don't know, I was just so struck by what he was saying and how he was talking about the simplicity of stick with it, stay in it, remain in it, abide in it. Um, He was talking about the simplicity of just taking a next step of faith and following the Lord's leading in the next thing. And and I was very moved. I was tearing up, and that's not uncommon for me, but it was in a pretty special way. And the Lord just sort of dropped a sermon uh, into my head as uh, Justin was preaching last week, and I didn't want to have to work on a separate one again, so I just thought, let's just stick with that one. So I have a sermon from the Lord, okay? I'm not super charismatic, but I just feel like the Lord put this on my heart, and I have had John 15 in my head all week, and I've had Galatians 3 in my head all week, and um, so we will, I promise, 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 we will go into back into the Gospel of Mark next Sunday. Um, but for now, we're going to just look at this idea of abiding and remaining again. The Lord has just been really reminding me of how vital this is. So this picture of a vineyard is vital, and Jesus uses it in John 15 as he's talking about our relationship to him. Who are we to God the Father? Who are we to Jesus? He uses exactly this imagery of a vineyard to, uh, to explore what that is. And so here's what he says in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Okay, so all this talk, all this is saying, um, Jesus is saying, I want you to, when you think about who you are and who you are in relation to me, what I want you to think about is, is this. I am the vine. Jesus himself is the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. My father is the one that's caring for the vine. He, he unpacks. We are the branches that are attached to this vine, and this is the way that I want you to think about this whole thing. As you're, as you're picturing the whole thing, think of the father as the vine dresser who's just lovingly tending this vine and these branches. It's a beautiful picture. It's, a, it's a, like I picture my dad just out there in the, in the grapes. He's in his vineyard, and he's just going... Um, 
row by row, vine by vine, and he's just shuffling through, and he's getting all the branches up into the, training them into the wires so they grow the way they need to grow. He's pulling off all the little suckers. He's undoing little tendrils and getting them to go the way they should go, and vine by vine, row by row, just giving them the full attention to get them growing the best way they can. And as I picture that, I think of God, the Father, who's saying, that's what I'm like. And I picture him going here, row by row, seat by seat, person by person, and he's just shuffling through, and he's tending, and he's taking those parts of us that are growing this way, and he's saying, nope, nope, we're going to move it up over here, and we're going to gently undo this thing that you're attached to, and we're going to put you up into this spot here. And he's just this loving Father that's getting us into the positions that we want, so that there's this, or that he wants, so there's maximum growth. I'm going to acknowledge I hate some of this imagery, okay, because there's some vines that he prunes so that it can bear more fruit, and those aren't even the bad ones. Some get thrown away, but even the best branches get pruned, okay? And that's a painful thought, but it's done in love because he's here um, working with us, getting us into a place where we can grow, and the the point and the uh, goal of this all is so that we can bear fruit. So, That's what he's doing. Um, But what's the job of the branch in this whole thing? We're the branch, so what's our job? What are we supposed to do in this whole thing? And he's saying the main thing that you've got to do as a branch is stay connected to the vine. If If you're a branch and you can stay connected to the vine, then you're doing what you've got to do. That's your job is to stay connected to the vine. It's, um, I've, I've recently learned that there's plants where uh, you can detach them from the rest of the plant and then you can start a whole new plant out of that thing. So apparently succulents are like this. You can pull off a, a leaf, I don't know what you call it, a, a succulent off the succulent, and you can uh, replant that somewhere else and it will grow into this whole other succulent. That's incredible. I had no idea that was possible. But I can tell you from experience, grapevines are not like that. The branches that you snip off, if you do snip them off, which I had to do year by year with my dad, and you drop them in the, in the row there. If you don't come back for a few months, which like it was my dad's hobby, not his job. So sometimes those branches lay there for um, a few months. You come back, you don't find suddenly a bunch of new grapevines that are growing up there, right? You find just more dead branches than you left before, right? They just sit there and they're dead and they just stay dead. And that's all they ever do until you eventually rake them up and burn the whole lot of those uh, grape branches. There's no life for a grapevine once it's been detached from the vine. So Jesus saying, you're the branch, I'm the vine. Your whole job and the most important thing and really the only thing is stay connected to me. That's all that matters to a branch. I had this thought this week of picturing like a grapevine that just sort of detaches and thinks like, I'm going to try this on my own. Like this is going great. Look at this magnificent crop this year and all these uh, grapes that I produced. I'm going to uh, start my own winery. Why not? You know, and go out. That's what it's called. It's called a winery. Um, I, I'm sure you guys tried to tell me that, but it uh, just wasn't coming in here uh, at the moment. So um, a branch trying to start its own winery because it did so, it produced such good fruit. And it's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over to this, you know, I'm, the view's better, over, whatever it is. It's, it's silly. It's nonsense, right? But Jesus is saying, that's, that's what I'm telling you. It's nonsense for you as a Christian, as a human, um, to try to detach from me and go and do anything at all on your own. Like maybe things are going great in your Christian life, but boy, you detach from me and everything will fall apart. There's only death on that whole side of it. So the vine dresser is doing the tending, but he's only working on vines that are attached to uh, the grapevine itself. The, all the branches that are not attached to the vine are sitting there dead. So the only command in this whole section, the only command is to abide which uh, the, the Spanish we learned last week is permanecer. The, um, the English means like uh, to 
abide means to endure. It means to stay connected. It means to remain. It means to like not go off on your own, to persist, to stay. It just means stick around. Um, so one of my dad's grapevines. This is what it looks like. This is the kind of thing that he works with all the time. And Jesus is saying this whole thing, like this is, this is what produces fruit. This is how fruit is made. But I, Jesus, am the vine and the branch is you, the part coming off of that. And he's saying the most important part in this entire picture for you to focus on is that one part where the branch connects to the vine. Keep that part good and we're going to be fine with this whole thing. We're going to bear a bunch of fruit. So if Jesus was interested in giving us um, prestigious callings and glamorous callings, exciting calling, callings, he would have been like, hey, uh, my followers, I want you all to go out into this world and I want you to start wineries. I want you to plant grapevines. I want you to tend them. I want you to get them producing maximum fruit. I want you to take those grapes and process them. I want you to make them into the finest wine the world has ever seen. But I don't think Jesus cares too much about what seems prestigious to us. And so Jesus, instead of calling us to be uh, viticulturalists, there you go, I just wanted to find a way to try to use the word. He calls us to be branches, you know? The unglamorous calling of like, hey, you're the branch, just stay connected to the vine. That's all he calls us to do. So it's unglamorous. It sounds a little bit boring, right? But this is what he's calling us to do. Eugene Peterson made a big deal out of, he took a, a quote from Friedrich Nietzsche, actually, and he says, the Christian life is like a long obedience in the same direction. You just keep obeying. You just keep moving in that same direction. That's what your whole Christian life is, a long obedience in that same direction. And I'm tempted to think what that long obedience looks like is um, like doing great things, increasing, growing in my ministry skill and my ability to bless people in the name of the Lord. I'm going to keep moving in that direction for the rest of my life. Um, doing increasingly good things, being more moral, growing in my maturity and my knowledge of Scripture, that's the long obedience. But I think what Jesus is saying here is the long obedience that we're called to is stick around, persist, stay connected to the vine. So it's not even grow uh, immensely, right? It's not even produce a bunch. It's stay connected. That's the long obedience. The rest of your life, what I want you to do is stay connected. That's what you focus on. That's what you do. And the fruit is going to come from that whole thing. Because here's what happens when we let go of that. Jesus says in the next verse, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the actual call in this whole thing, there's fruit that's being born. There's fruit that's produced. That, that fruit eventually gets turned into table grapes or into wine or whatever. The fruit comes, but that's not what we're called to do. Our call is abide in him. So if we abide, the fruit comes. Um, but it, like we spend so much of our time acting as though our job is to produce the fruit. Let's make it. Let's figure it out. Let's do the things. But no, he's saying your job is to abide. The fruit comes through that. So, so often I feel like what we do is we, we do believe Jesus' words in a sense, okay? And we're like, um, yes, I agree. If I abide in you and you abide in me, then I'm going to produce a lot of fruit. But I feel like sometimes we detach and we cut ourselves short. We don't give it enough time. The idea of connecting with him, we don't see the results because we try it and we give up way too soon. Um, 18 years ago, 18 and a half now, I guess, um, I uh, got married to Laura, which was the happiest day of my life, even still, and it was amazing. But prior to that, I was like, I should probably do something about all this, you know? And so it was like, you know, I'm going to get in shape so that when I'm like in my wedding tux, like I'm looking good. And um, so I 
decided to start running. I've never been a runner before, but I'm like, this is the time, so I'm going to do it. So I took my, my literal Sony Walkman with the cassette tape, and I listened to the Deftones, and I would just run. And I did it for an entire week. It was incredible. <laughs> and actually, I'm lying. It was the worst. It was not fun at all. I hated it. And um, so I got like a week's worth of workout in, and I'm sorry to say uh, it, it made no difference. You know what I'm saying? It just, you can't run for a week and expect it to make a difference. And I just kind of, I'm like, this is homeostasis for my body. This is what my body wants to be, and so I just let it do what it wants to do. And uh, we're getting along fine for the most part. But um, I could have, I could, I mean, look around. There's, there's people in here that will show you exactly what it looks like to be a runner on a regular basis, okay? Like, it's, it's nice. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but you can't give up after a week and expect to see results, right? So taking the spiritual analogy of that, um, how many of these spiritual things, like stay connected to Jesus, let's, let's spend some time lingering in prayer with the Lord, let's take time to open the word of God and just let it speak to us and soak in, let's, let's find Christian community and really encourage each other, how, like we try it for a week, we try it maybe for a day, we try it for a time and it's like, I don't know, it really wasn't doing that much for me. So we cut ourselves short and we don't experience the benefits of what it looks like to be connected for a long period of time. But imagine the fruit of, let's say we prayed for a year. What would we be like if we were people that gave ourselves time with the Lord like that for an entire year? Or for two years, or for 10 years, or for 50 years? Like, I know, because I see uh, you guys and see what the fruit of that is. A lifetime spent staying connected to the vine is an incredible transformation that it brings to a person. But we, we get tired, we get distracted, we get frustrated, and so we gives up. There's there's no fruit that comes from a disconnected branch. And so the warning he gives us is, look, apart from me, you can do nothing. A branch, like, a branch works by uh, flowing, right? Like, so think of, think of like, every, every vital part of a grapevine. There's a lot of vital parts. The roots are super important, right? They soak up the water and the minerals, and they send it on up the plant. Um, the vine itself is channeling all that, giving it where it needs to go. Uh, the leaves, I'm told, are important. They're sucking in that sunlight and miraculously transforming it into glucose that, you know, does whatever it needs to do. And, um, and, and eventually, like, it comes out into the grapes, right? The branch's job is to be just like this, this flow space, this pipeway, this, like, this, this channeling of, I like, take what the vine is giving me, and I put it out, and I, I put it into the... Um, the grapes, I guess, eventually. And so a, a branch just works by flowing from one thing to the next. That's the whole job of a, of a branch. And I love that Jesus is saying, that's it. That's your job. Take what I give you and, and put it out into fruit in the world around you. That, and, and so when we disconnect from the branch, there's nothing to flow. There's nothing to pass on. It just dies and everything connected to us dies. So that is a beautiful calling. It's an important calling. But I think in my life, I don't think I typically believe when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't think I typically believe that. And I feel like we all don't really believe that, right? No, none of us is going to be like, oh no, Jesus was wrong. But we don't, if we really believed that I can do literally nothing apart from Jesus, wouldn't our lives look a little more like urgent in terms of I've got, I've got to, like, yeah, I'm going to be late for work, but I've got to spend time with the Lord because I cannot do what I'm called to do today unless I spend time with the Lord. Man, I'm exhausted. I've got to sleep in, but, like, um, I know I should be spending some time with the Lord, but I can't get myself to do it. If we, if we really believe this, I think we would get to a point where we're like, I'm going to figure out how it happens, and if I get to the end of my day and I'm exhausted, 
I got to just at least touch base with Jesus, right? Or just in the flow of everything, just finding those ways to connect with him as we're doing what we're doing. I think if we really believe that nothing could be accomplished aside from our connection to Christ, um, I think we would begin to look a little bit different. And I think, man, if we really believed even just this one sentence, apart from me, you can do nothing. If we just believed even that one sentence, imagine what our church family would look like as we became less self-reliant, less independent in what we're trying to accomplish and the way that we white-knuckle it, trying to accomplish it, and we'd be people that would just keep coming back to Jesus saying, I am at the end of myself. I cannot do this. I need you, Lord. I need you. And looking for him to guide us. So there's the picture that Jesus gives us. A vine uh, and then branches. We're the branches bearing fruit because we're connected to him. It's beautiful. I'm going to take you to Galatians 3 because this was in my head all week too and I couldn't get it out. And I think it's a way that Paul is saying the same thing that Jesus said but in different words. So if you want to turn Galatians, th- uh, yeah, Galatians 3 verses 1 through 3 here we're going to start with. Look how Paul says this and I think you'll see he's really saying the same thing ultimately. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So Paul, speaking to this church, these churches in Galatia that he himself had helped to plant, um, and he started, he's writing back to them and he's just saying like, hey, guys, what, what is going on here? Like, we started on the right path here. And, and I love that he's saying, like, it was like someone's bewitched you, right? You've been just like, um, somebody is making you crazy in what you're doing here because before your eyes, Christ Jesus was crucified. I think he's saying, I painted this picture of the death of Jesus for you, the crucifixion of Jesus. And I think he's kind of coming back. He's guys, remember, we talked about this. We talked about this. You lived your life, and you were like at a dead end. You couldn't morally get where you wanted to be. You were hurting each other. All your relationships were broken. You were cut off from God. You're living in isolation. You're lonely. You're depressed. You're guilty. Like all these things you were experiencing, and you recognized, we talked about this, you can't do it on your own. There's no life uh, moving forward unless... Jesus comes in and sees where you're at and says, look, I love you. You're my child. I made you. I created you. And I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to die in your place so that I can offer you life and forgiveness and healing, a restored relationship with God, healing in your relationships with each other, restoration in your own soul. So Paul's saying, look, we, we talked about this. You saw it. Your, your way forward is a dead end. But Jesus came in and laid down his life to give us a path forward. So he's saying, You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You saw Jesus portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you start this whole thing, he says in verse 2? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Basically, did you follow like a man-made path here? Were you following religious rules and got so good at it that you launched this spiritual life that you're experiencing? And he's saying, of course not. It was hearing by faith. I told you this message about Jesus and you heard it and something deep down inside of you resonated and said, yes, that is it. I can't do this on my own. I've been trying to follow these religious rules and these moral systems and I've been failing at it. And so I need to let go of my approach and in, in, in this message that Jesus has done it for me. He's saying, that's where you found life. That was the spirit of God awakening you from the inside and drawing you to this message and saying, yes, this is the path of life. 
So Paul's saying, you began this journey with the Spirit, with hearing, with faith. Like, this is how the whole thing started. Remember that it started with the Spirit, that it started with faith, that it started with just hearing and not you accomplishing anything. But he's saying, he's so frustrated with them because he's saying, you guys are turning aside to something different, and it's nonsense. So the next few verses here. I'm going to read verse 3 again. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What he's saying to them is, you've started with the Spirit. Now you're choosing this bizarre pathway for the middle and for the end of this whole thing. You think, the Spirit of God got me going on this whole thing, but I've got it now, right? I'm in the swing of things. I've figured it out. This makes sense to me. I've got it from here, and I can do it. I I know how to work hard. I know how to uh, draw the boundaries and, and kind of follow in this. And he's saying, you guys are idiots if you think that starting in the Spirit, you're going to be able to finish it in your own strength, with your own wisdom. The Spirit of God awakened you, gave you a life that you never thought was possible, made things start to click, gave you peace, gave you healing and restoration and, and uh, all these different things. Now you are going to go back to this life of trying to achieve, trying to stay in line, trying to follow the religious rules and everything else. He's saying you're relying on your flesh, on yourself, and in the midst of this, like, You think that you can switch midstream and go, and he's like, you are crazy if you believe that. So I'm going to use the the most well-worn, I think it's probably the most, uh, I don't know, I think it's the most famous sermon illustration of all time, which probably means that a good number of you have heard it, but it's so good that I can't not. So apparently, in the 1800s, there's this guy named Charles Blondin who was a tightrope walker. And he uh, famously tightrope walked across Niagara Falls, okay? Unbelievable. I mean, how someone can even balance, like, standing up is hard enough, to be honest. And then going on a tightrope, and then to do that over Niagara Falls, the distance and the, the wind and the water rushing, like, I can't even imagine. But this man in the 1800s, um, tightrope walks across Niagara Falls. And he does it a, a few times. And one of the times, he even like grabs a stool and uh, sets it up on the tightrope somehow and balances there while he eats dinner. Like, I don't know. And everyone's just watching this, I guess. Incredible. So then he does the whole thing where he like is like, okay, how many of you believe that I'm really good at this? You know, and everyone raises their hand. And then he's like, how many of you believe it so much that, that you will let me carry you across on my back, right? And every sane person had their hand up for the first one and pulled their hand down for the second one. But there's this one guy that I assume probably wasn't listening very well that just kept his hand in the air. And, um, and he volunteered to be carried across. And so Charles Blondin carries him across. I doubt that's the actual picture, but it, it sure looks old-timey. I don't think they had telephoto lenses like that back then. Um, but it was the best I could do, and it's good enough for a sermon, right? So... Um, but uh, so, he, so he did. I mean, he carried this guy across, which is unbelievable, right? The amount of trust he put in another human being, unreal. But N.T. Wright uh, say, basically says, I want you to think about this illustration differently. What if, what if this man that is going across on Charles Blondin's back, this man is incredible bouncing. So the guy's on his back, and he gets there, and he's like, okay, all right, this is, we're doing this. This is great, right? Hey, why don't you let me down, and I'll walk the rest of the way on my own, right? I see how this is going. Like, I've got this from here. It would be insane, right? Because why is he doing well going halfway across Niagara Falls? It's because this guy's got incredible balance and he's able to take me, right? It doesn't follow that like, okay, now I can do it on my own from here. And um, so the thought is, here we are, uh, people in the church, and we're following the Spirit of God. 
and uh, he's carrying us into this new spiritual life. We're finding peace and wholeness and healing. We're, we're finding everything that the Lord offers us and guides us in. And then we get to a point where we're like, okay, I get it. I see how this works. I'm going to go it alone. I'm going to do it by myself, and I can figure out how this works. Now, that would be insane, and that is what Paul is saying. That would be insane. I think he is saying the exact same thing that Jesus said when he said, look, if you're a branch attached to the vine, it's going to work out great, but as soon as you become detached, you can't do anything. It, it falls apart from there. It's a fundamentally different thing that you're trying to do. And yet I think this is probably the most common thing in any Christian person's life is to go from following the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, uh, listening to the Spirit's guidance, um, being empowered, the fruit of the Spirit flowing through us, and then going into this mode where somehow, we're not even sure how we get there, we begin to think, okay, I get how this works. I know how the Christian life functions. I can do this. I can figure it out. And we just, we get lazy about our connection to the vine. We get, we get lazy about our connection to Jesus, and it begins to fall apart. Now, I have a, a thousand examples from church history about how this works in, like, churches. So um, you don't have to think back that far. Bill Hybels was a, this amazing pastor that started Willow Creek, this amazing church, like the first big, big, big mega church in the U.S. And um, all this success, all these um, impacted lives and ministry. And I imagine the Spirit of God was just flowing through Bill Hybels and his team as he's doing that. But somewhere along the line, we found out later, somewhere along the line, Bill Hybels, cuts his relationship with Jesus enough to where he begins to have affairs with the women in his church, and he's uh, basically using the church and everything there for his own sexual pleasure. Mark Driscoll was another one that I really liked when he was starting out, and his teaching was powerful and convicting, and, and he's calling us to this uh, uh, following of Jesus, but there reached a point where he began using, um, relying on his own, like, strategy and control and kind of dominating techniques, and eventually that destroyed the church that he was part of. It's, it's really sad. Uh, maybe the saddest one for me, Ravi Zacharias. So many of us were impacted by him as an apologist as he's talking about the, the logical origins of our faith and evidence for belief and all these kinds of amazing things. We found out down the road um, he was using his notoriety and all that to manipulate women. It's so sad to see Something that can start so healthy and so good, and you're like, I know, I'm certain the Spirit of God is working in that. But then you see the way that we as human beings begin to rely on ourselves and walk away. So I'm terrified by that thought as a pastor. Um, I think we all as a church should be as well. But I also think it's not just about like ministry leaders and people leading a church and whatever that even means. Um, I think it looks like kind of everything in our lives. So think about your marriage. There was probably a point where when you got married, those of you that are married, that you, um, uh, it was like, man, God is just like make, bringing this thing together, right? Like I, I met my spouse in the most miraculous way. That's certainly true for Laura and I. Um, and God just like made that happen and he brought us together and we were clicking, right? We had this, this like alignment of our passions together and we were serving the Lord and we were loving each other and, and serving each other sacrificially and all these incredible things happening. I feel like we're just following the Spirit in marriage, and then you get to a point where you kind of look back, and you're like, I don't know where it happened, how it happened, why it happened, but it's like, man, I'm just gritting my teeth and trying to get through this thing, right? I'm trying to fix the problems myself. I'm trying to double down and work a little harder, or I've just kind of given in to, like, manipulation, and I'm trying to get what I need out of this marriage, and um, we're relying on human effort. We're relying on human wisdom. We're relying on human tactics, trying to make something work, and it's just not working for us, right? That happens so often. I think Paul would say in that situation, like, what are you doing? Didn't, didn't this whole thing start with the Spirit as you were following God and he led you into this health? Why are you trying to solve it on your own now? It's not working for you. 
You could say the exact same thing about parenting. Um, Obviously, those of us that have kids have incredible kids, but some of them can be really difficult at times. A lot of them can be really difficult at times. Parenting is not easy, and we get to the spot of like, oh, this gift of the Lord, literally just creating a life out of just about nothing. It's incredible that God gives us these kids, and then you watch them grow, and you have this like reliance on the Spirit in the early days, and, and then you reach a point where it's like, man, we're just butting heads all the time, and this isn't working, and I'm always constantly frustrated, and it's so hard and I feel like, again, Paul's saying, hey, you started in the spirit. Are you now going to finish it off in the flesh? It doesn't work like that. You've got to go back to the vine. I think you could say the same thing about most of our careers um, that we're in. The spirit of God opened doors, and he let us in there, and he's giving us wisdom, and we're learning, and, and we're seeing. And then it gets to a point where it's like, okay, I, I see the ladder. I've got to climb. I know how to do it. I, I'm listening to the, the tactics and whatever, and I know how to get ahead and do my thing. And we just get so focused on all this stuff. Paul saying, hey, did you begin this whole thing in the spirit? Are you going to finish it now in your own self-reliance? The distinction Paul makes is between the freedom and power of following the spirit of God versus like reverting to like a rigid structure um, or the rules or to self-reliance and the whole thing. And I think the reminder that has just been so good for me is Look, it's not about following the rules. It's not about following the structure. It's not about working a little harder. It's not about figuring out on our own, even though just about every day of my life, I think I jump back into that to solve some problem in my life. I can figure it out. I can do it. I can read another book. I can listen to another podcast. I could try a little harder. Um, or I can just resign myself to like, well, I guess this is just falling apart versus recognizing, okay, I'm, I'm just a branch. And if this marriage is going to be saved, there's going to have to be a whole lot of fruit that gets produced here. And the only way that I can produce a whole lot of fruit is to stay connected to the vine. So I'm going to do that, and I'm going to see how the Lord will lead me. I'm going to, I'm going to just give up everything I can to him and loosen my grip on it all and say, Lord, it's yours. That, that kid that's giving me so many problems, that's your child. You're the father of that child more than I am. So Lord, take that kid and, and then give me direction, invite me, change me, make me who you want me to be. Not through our strategy, not because we read a great parenting book, because the Spirit of God is going to flow through us. Every, every good thing we have in our life is a gift that God gives to us. Every relationship, every job, every church family, every small group, every thing around us is this gift that the Lord gives us to be steward well in reliance on Him. And it is, man, so impossibly hard to follow in this whole thing. I think some of the biggest tells, like the, the things that give us a way that show that we've veered into self-reliance, that we've tried to be a branch that's separated and going it alone, some of the biggest tells that we get are times when we're just like devastated by someone's criticism of us. You know, someone comes and they, they have something constructive or maybe not, and they're critic- and it's like, it just destroys us. It's like, oh, okay, wait, hang on, hang on. You began in the freedom and the power of the Spirit, and now you're relying on someone else's opinion of you to get through this? Hang on, I need to get back to listening to the voice of the Spirit rather than listening to the voice of the people that are around me. I think we become sort of hell-bent on achieving things, on, on taking the next step and everything. It's like, hey, hang on. When did this start to matter to me so much? I need to take a step back and say, Lord, you work through me. Lord, you do this. Look, you, whatever you want me to achieve, set it up. When, when we're dominated by fear of failure or loss, and it's, it's like, hang on, why am I so afraid of this? Why is this dominating me, this fear of this thing? Step back. Let the Spirit speak to me. Let him flow through me. Times that we become apathetic in our spiritual lives. Times that we begin just like giving in, living in sin on an ongoing basis. Let go. This is not what I'm designed for. This is not how I'm made to function. Let me reconnect to the vine. Paul, just before Galatians 3, uh, he ends Galatians chapter 2 like this. I've been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This verse could change our entire lives. It absolutely could. It's not me. It's not my life. It's not my achievements. It's not my plans. It's not my grit. It's not my hard work. It's not the way that I'm going to white-knuckle it through this marriage, this parenting situation, these, uh, this job situation, this health crisis, whatever it is, it's not me that's going to get me through. I basically, when Jesus came and died for me, I was right there with him, and I came to the end of myself there. It's Jesus who lives in me. It's his life that I need flowing through me. I need to come back to him, and I'm just saying, man, this idea that faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, and that is a foundation that we can build everything on. He loves me. He gave himself for me. Before anything else, if I'm afraid of what anyone else thinks of me, hang on. Jesus loves me so much that he gave himself for me. I can build on that foundation. I can love my spouse because even if I'm not getting back the love that I think I deserved, Jesus loves me and he gave himself for me. So I've got so much love that I can give even to someone who is unappreciative and difficult. This kid that I'm just like giving up everything in my life to serve and love and care for, I, Jesus loved me and he gave himself for me, so I've got reserves of love that I can pour into even someone that is ungrateful. It would change us so much. And I, I, guess, I guess in the whole thing, as I've just been thinking since Justin was speaking last week, you just look at these pastors in Mexico, and I, 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 like, I'm, I'm, I'm moved. Like, I'm blown away by what they do. And I've got to meet um, the, the ones that they're working with right now. They're incredible people, but they're also just people. You know what I'm saying? They're just, they're just living in a different country than I am. And they're just living their lives, and they're willing to give up things to follow Jesus. And they have all the same frustrations. They have all the same issues that we do. But, but, but we can look at the example of someone that's just saying, hey, yeah, I, I, um, I can give a big piece of my life to caring for someone that's hurting. And I think it all just comes here. It's, it's abiding. It's remaining. It's staying put. It's uh, doing the running regiment for more than one week. It's sticking into a place longer than it seems healthy to stay, right? It's like, man, by this point in my Christian life, should I be able to accomplish this or that and whatever on my own? Should I be more godly at this point? Should I whatever? You know what? Don't stress about that. I, I should be at this point in my life now and 50 years from now, I should be connected to the vine. If I can focus on that connection point to the vine, there's going to be fruit that flows through it. So two questions as, you, um, as we get ready to sing and everything else is, um, what is it that, that you have in your hands that you're terrified of or that you're worried about or that you're working so hard on? What do you hold in your hands that you just need to hand back to God this morning? God, flow this life through me. This thing I can't do, I can't get my head around, I can't process, I can't survive. Lord, would you take it from me? And so let's give that to the Lord this morning. Um, and then along those lines, what would it look like to increase that attachment to the vine, to just get back and say, okay, this is the part that matters. Lord, reconnect me. It does not going to have to look like reading through the Bible every week this year. You know, it doesn't have to look like you spend eight hours a day in prayer. But what, what does it look like to prioritize that connection and say, Lord, um, work that in me. So let's, let's pray and then we're going to sing. Lord, take, take everything that we have and use it for your purposes. That's such a terrifying prayer for me to pray, Lord, and I just, I think deep down I do want um, to be a branch through whom you are flowing all this um, life producing this great fruit, this great, um, beautiful thing at the end of it all. Lord, that's what I want. Lord, I confess how often I try to take back control, and I get afraid. 
I'm afraid of missing out on something. I'm afraid that if I give you full control that you'll take me somewhere I don't want to go. Lord, would you just take it all? And I, I think of my beautiful church family here. Lord, we're yours. You made us. Would we stay connected to you? Would you invite us into that connection? Would you show us what it looks like and what it means? Would you give us supernatural grace to come back again and again and again and return to you? Lord, I'm so, so thankful for who you are. Thank you for this invitation. Would we finish in the power and guidance of your spirit? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.